Uh, my name's John Bellis. I'm the lead pastor here at Alpine Logan, and I'm excited to dig into God's Word with you guys as we turn to week six of our seven-week series called The Seven Deadly Sins. And i got to be honest with you guys, there is a part of me that's glad we're almost done with this series. Anybody else feel kind of beaten up by this series? Anybody else going, I hope there's going to be at least one week I don't struggle with the sin we're talking about, because so far I haven't gotten there. I feel like I'm struggling with every one of these, so if you guys feel that way, I, I can empathize with you. But let's look at that list that we've been going through during this series. Pride, envy, anger, gluttony, greed, sloth, and lust. And if you're joining us for the first time during this series, I just want to make sure you understand there isn't anywhere in the Bible where these sins are all listed together and then they're called the seven deadly sins. But all of these sins are in the Bible. We get warnings about all of these. And we know from God's Word that all sin brings death. All sin is deadly. And, and anytime you and I follow our own thoughts, our own feelings, our own opinions over what God has declared to be true, and that's what sin is, things do not go well for us. There's emotional death. There's relational death. There's spiritual death. Sometimes there's even physical death. Sin is deadly. And I think it's important that we remind ourselves that sin is deadly because we live in a culture that constantly minimizes sin. In fact, I would say we live in a culture that actually celebrates several of the sins that we've talked about during this series. But make no mistake, sin is deadly. These sins are deadly to us. I also just want to say before we dig into today's message, if you've missed a week or two, if you want to go back and catch up, you can always do that two ways. You can see the small group video version of any of these sermons at pursuegod.org ac for Alpine Church, if you want to see kind of the condensed version on video. If you want to listen to the full audio version of the sermon, just go to alpinechurch.org, select resources at the top of the page, and you'll see those all listed on Spotify, so you can listen to any sermon from any campus from that week. You know, when I was prepping for this series, and we were talking about it as a staff, and I knew we were going to do the seven deadly sins, I knew there were a couple of these that were going to be tough for me. A couple that I just knew still show up in my life from time to time. I knew that, that pride and anger and lust were going to be challenging, but I thought I would get a break on the others. <laughs> I didn't think I was a greedy person. I'm not really materialistic. I don't really want stuff. But as I was preparing to preach that sermon on greed, God convicted me that there are areas in my life where I'm greedy. And then I thought, well, at least I'll get a break during the gluttony sermon. Like, I'm not a glutton, right? And if we look at, at the Webster definition, an unhealthy obsession over food or drink, I, I think I'm pretty good. I don't think I'm gluttonous. But if I look at it through a slightly different lens, if really being gluttonous is just being undisciplined in our use of food and drink, or if it's not letting the Holy Spirit lead us in that area of our lives, then I have to admit I'm gluttonous. I have to admit that drinking 32 to 64 ounces of heaven's nectar every day, you might know it by its formal name, Mountain Dew, is probably not healthy. It's probably gluttonous. It's definitely undisciplined. So now I'm just like, come on, sloth. Come on, at least let there be one week where I don't feel like I'm getting kicked in the teeth, right? That's what I'm hoping for. 
So if you're like me and you feel like you've been beaten up a little bit, one thing I hope you've seen from this series is that God's grace and His mercy is bigger than any sin that we have. That in spite of the fact that, that we're going to fall, in spite of the fact that these are going to rear their head in our lives from time to time, God still loves us. God still chooses to use us. That His grace is bigger than any sin that we have. Because as Christ followers, obviously, hopefully, we are becoming more and more like Jesus. But that's not going to happen overnight. There's still going to be areas in our life where we fail. And so I hope if you've noticed some of those failures, that yes, you've confessed those, but then I hope you've run in to the open arms of Jesus who says, my love for you is bigger than any of those sins. Now today we're looking at the deadly sin of envy. And this is another one where I thought, hey, I'm not really an envious person. This isn't anything that's going to really convict me. You know, I usually rejoice with those who rejoice. As I said, I'm not very materialistic. I don't usually look at other people's stuff and get jealous. And that is something that a lot of people struggle with. But what I found as I was prepping this, as God started speaking to my heart, is there's a lot more ways to be envy than just envious of other people's stuff. And it's amazing to me how early this sin creeps into our lives. Have you ever been in a room with maybe four or five little kids, you know, three, four or five years old, and there's a toy on the floor or a toy on the counter and nobody's playing with it and everybody's content with what they have? But as soon as one child starts playing with it, now they all want to play with it. Now all of a sudden, nobody's satisfied with the toys they already had. They only want to play with the one they can't have because somebody else is using it. And let's not pretend that stops when we become adults. For us, it just looks a little differently. For us, it might look like going over to our friend's house to have a nice dinner and, and you notice the appliances in their kitchen. And you notice that their refrigerator and their dishwasher are newer and nicer than the ones you have at your house. And all of a sudden, your dishwasher and your refrigerator don't cut it anymore. You find that you're no longer satisfied and you start justifying why you deserve new appliances. You make as much money as they do. You're a good person. You deserve nice things. And you're no longer grateful for the appliances you have, even though they work just fine. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying it's always envious to get new appliances. <laughs> but I am saying if the only reason you're getting them is because you noticed somebody else had them, you need to ask yourself an honest question, am I envious? So let's start with a, with a definition. We've been doing this each week. We're trying to define what we're talking about. So Webster defines envy as, and Robert, you're going to have to lead me through. There we go. A feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. So we see the close connection envy has to jealousy here, to covetousness. But I, I want to modify this definition just a little bit and give it a more biblical perspective. A definition, I think, comes closer to the heart of what's really going on. So for today, our definition of gluttony is a feeling of discontent or resentment toward God because of someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. Because at the heart of it, that's what's really going on, especially for those of us who profess to be Christians. See, after all, if God is sovereign, which He is, if every good gift comes from Him, then when we're in God, you, what we're really saying is, God, you didn't get it right. God, you, you messed up. God, I should have been the one who got the new car. 
I should be the one who have the kids who always seem to obey. I should be the one who's in the popular group at school. See, envy, again, isn't just limited to material possessions. You know, for any of the young people in here, have you ever wished that you had cooler parents? If my kids better not say amen to that. They better be quiet. But you're like, I wish I had her parents or his parents, right? Or if you've ever been stuck in a job and, and you're like, why does so-and-so have such a great job and I'm stuck in this job? Or maybe you're single right now and a lot of your friends are getting married and you're going, God, why aren't I the one getting married? Or maybe you are married and you want to know why your spouse doesn't treat you as well as your friend's spouse does. Whatever the struggle is, I want you to ask yourself an honest question. And all of that envy, has it ever given you one single moment of satisfaction? Probably not. Throughout this series, we've been looking at a book called The Seven Deadly Sins by Graham Tomlin. And here's a powerful truth that he says in his book about envy. He says, out of all the sins, envy is different. It's different because it's the one sin on the list that has no pleasure in it whatsoever. From start to finish, envy is no fun at all. It's the most miserable of habits. So think about some of the other sins we've talked about up to this point. They at least have some momentary pleasure. At least with pride, I have this this short-term sense of satisfaction, this feeling of control, this feeling of worth. Or if I exercise greed, I can buy things that give me at least short-term pleasure. Certainly, gluttony can be enjoyable in the short term. We might pay for it later, but all of those things give us some sense of enjoyment, but not envy. There is nothing redeemable in envy from beginning to end. It never makes us feel better. It always and only makes us feel worse. Here's how God's Word talks about in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. It says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. So we should all want to overcome it. If there's nothing redeemable about it, we want to be able to battle this. So I want to give you guys today three practical ways to battle this issue of envy in your life. And here's the first one. Turn back to the very God who seems to have treated you so badly. I want to say that again. Turn back to the very God who seems to have treated you so badly. This is the foundational place to start. And I would say some of us might not have even consciously thought that we're really angry at God when we're envious. But again, that's really what's happening at the heart of the matter. What we're feeling like is that God has somehow shortchanged us. God isn't being fair. God, this isn't just. And I want to say this as gently as I can, but we need to remember that God is God and we're not. Our sense of justice, our sense of fairness is tainted by sin. We don't even really know what is just and what is fair because we have a distorted view because of our fallen nature. We should be exceedingly thankful that God doesn't treat us fairly because if God treated us fairly, we would all be destined for hell. I'm so thankful that God doesn't treat us fairly See, anytime you notice that you're feeling like God has given you the short end of the stick, I would encourage you to look to the cross. Because that's where God demonstrated His great love for you and that He didn't treat you fairly. 
He poured out His grace on you, His unmerited favor and mercy. In the issue of feeling like God has somehow treated us poorly is nothing new. Mankind has been dealing with that ever since the fall. I want to take us all the way back to Genesis chapter 4 to a verse that we looked at last week, but I want to look at it from a slightly different angle. So it says, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. Now there's been all kind of speculation and conjecture over the centuries as to why God accepted Abel's gift but not Cain's. And honestly, Scripture doesn't say specifically. We don't know for sure why. It does say that Abel brought the best portions of the firstborn lambs. It doesn't say that Cain brought the best portions of his crops. So maybe that's why, but we don't know for sure. What we do know for sure is whatever the reason, God was just. God was good in his decision. See, last week we looked at Cain's anger, but this week I want to look at the root of that anger, which is Cain's envy, Cain's jealousy, the fact that Cain felt shortchanged by God because God accepted Abel's offering, but he didn't accept his. And then God reaches out to Cain. This is a very pivotal moment in Cain's life, and God tries to draw him back to himself. We see that just a couple of verses later. God is speaking to Cain, and he says, why are you so angry The Lord asked Cain, why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. A couple things I see from this passage in this kind of general confrontation where God comes to Cain and he tries to help him make the right decision He tries to encourage him that that sin is right at his door. In other words, up to this point, Cain hadn't sinned yet. So that tells me that there's this space where it's okay to ask God hard questions. It's okay to come to God and ask Him about why things are or are not happening in our lives, but we need to do that from a place of humility and a place of faith. Because sin is crouching right at the door. Sin is right there. And we can easily go from just a a place of questioning and faith and humility to letting sin control us. And that's exactly what happened to Cain. So we need to come out of that on the other end and say, God, I may not understand this, but I know I can trust you. I know that you're good. I know that you're just. I know that you'll see me through it. But that's not what Cain did. He rejected the opportunity to turn back to God. And in fact, in a fit of jealous rage, he killed his brother. And he did that mainly because he thought God shortchanged him. That God wasn't being fair. And so he was envious and that envy turned to hate and he killed his own brother. So you and I probably have never killed anyone in a fit of rage, but we've all had opportunities where we could have turned back to God. As it matters, we choose to let sin control us. I know that's happened in my life, and and sometimes it manifests itself in ways that people from the outside looking in wouldn't even know it, but it happens. I've had multiple times in my life where I've been going through some sort of trial, or honestly, sometimes it wasn't even really a trial, it was an inconvenience. 
And I've looked at God and said, God, couldn't it be easy just once? And I said it in the whiniest, brattiest, most ungrateful voice you can think of. What a foolish thing to say. God has made it so easy for me in so many ways. I mean, first he sent his son to die on the cross for me. Jesus came down, lived a perfect life, paid my debt. And what did Jesus say? He said that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God gave me a wonderful wife. God gave me kids who are obedient and respectful and they're a joy to be around 98% of the time. <laughs> Maybe 99 and a half, guys. I'm healthy. I have this amazing church family. God has made it easy for me in so many ways. And I have the nerve to say, God, couldn't you make it easy just once? And when I come to my senses, I confess that. I thank God for his goodness. I thank God for his grace. And I acknowledge that he has made it so, so easy for me. He has been so, so good to me. So if you're in the middle of something right now and you feel like God has shortchanged you, I just want you to remember that God's love for you is greater than whatever you're in. God's love for you is greater than the envy you're experiencing right now. And I just would encourage you to turn and look at the cross, to turn back to the God you think has treated you badly because he's done anything but that. Let's take a look at the second strategy for battling envy, and that's we need to learn to admire God's gifting in others without comparing them with your gifts. I think this is so critical. I really believe that one of the biggest tools the enemy uses against us is the comparison game. And we're set up for failure every time we do that. See, envy is more than just wishing you had someone else's stuff. It may be that you wish you had their giftings. It may be that you wish you had some of their talents. You know, God has given us different physical giftings. Some people are just better at certain things than others. It's just the way it is. You know, some people can play a musical instrument. Some people can, can paint or draw. Some people can build things with their hands, and it's relatively easy for them. Some people have more charisma, more energy than drive. Some people can hit a golf ball farther and straighter than others. Some people can dunk a basketball. Whatever it is, we have different physical gifts. And the same thing is true in the spiritual realm. God has given each one of us different spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit gives us those gifts as He sees fit, and they're for the overall good of the church. Here's how Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 29 through 31. He says, are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. The point is, stop measuring yourself against others. Stop comparing the gifts you have or don't have to the gifts other people have. And I have to do this all the time. I mean, every Sunday, I have to be honest that I'm envious of the worship team. Anybody else can relate to that? Like, you wish you could lead worship from the stage? I think that'd be so amazing to have that gift. I don't have it. The last time I sang from the stage in church was when I was in college. I was going to a little Baptist church down in Alabama. That's where I'd worked through the summers, and I was in the choir down there. And for some reason, crazy reason, the choir director said, hey, would you do the special music? Now, I can stand up in front of hundreds of people, thousands really, and talk, and it doesn't bother me at all. But you asked me to stand up in front of people and sing, and I'm going to freak out. So I got about halfway through the song, and my voice literally cracked. 
The best way I could describe the noise is it was somewhere between what a croaking bullfrog would sound like and when you step on a cat's tail, that screech they let out. Like I literally saw a lady in the pew shriek in terror. It scared her half to death. That's the last time I've sung from the stage in public. Well, not true. I did sing at my wedding. I just locked in on Rhonda's eyes and God got me through that one and that one went okay. But I'm just never going to lead worship in a church. And there are other giftings that some of you have in this room that I don't have and I never will, and that's okay. That's part of God's plan. That's part of how he designed it. And so instead of wishing we had someone else's gifts, we should be grateful for the gifts that we have. And I think most of us honestly don't even know what our giftings are, much less have fully developed those. What a waste of time and energy to be whining about the gifts I don't have when I could be allowing God to use me with the gifts I do have. I don't think we can truly even understand what amazing things God would do through us if we would just focus on the gifts that He has given us and submit those to His glory. Just say, God, you do whatever you want to do through me with the gifts you've given me. He would do some amazing things here at Alpine. You know, we've probably all heard the saying, the grass is always greener on the other side. I think we usually think of that in terms of relationships, but I think it applies here. I think if we spent time watering and weeding and fertilizing our gifts, they'd be just as green as the gifts that other people have. I think God would do some amazing things. In fact, I think we'd take that a step further, and instead of being envious of other people's gifts, I think we should celebrate them. Can you imagine how attractive our church would be if it was a church where people encouraged and celebrated one another and their giftings all the time? People would be beating down the doors. I'm telling you guys, it would be a beautiful thing. I'm so thankful for the giftings that people have that I don't. I'm thankful that we do have people here who have musical giftings. I'm thankful that we have guys up in the booth who have some tech savvy to run our soundboard and run the media. I'm thankful for the people who came and helped do the Christmas decorations that have an eye for that because I don't. If it were just up to me, we'd have like a little Charlie Brown Christmas tree in the corner and that would be it. So I'm thankful that people use their giftings for the good of the church. So if you find yourself being envious of the giftings that others have, I'd recommend that you just start by thanking God for the giftings you have. Because the Bible promises that every one of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ have at least one spiritual gift. And you may honestly say, John, I, I don't really know what mine is. And if that's you, I would say, well, start by praying about it. Ask God to help you identify what your gifting is. Another thing you can do is talk to other believers. Ask them to give you some insight into what they think your giftings are. They'd be happy to do that. Get connected with a mentor and help them identify your gifts with you. Let, let them come along and help you develop those. Because the reality is nobody has all the gifts and abilities that we need to build God's kingdom. For us to function as God sees us functioning, as he wants his church to function, all of us need to be bought in. We need all of you. We need each and every one of you to use your gifts. You're needed. So whether that's singing or teaching or leading, or maybe it's your attention to detail as you clean the campus during the week. Maybe it's just your warm smile as you welcome people on our usher and greeter team. You are needed. God invites you to use the gifts he's given you to help build his kingdom. It's, it's a cool thing. I want to look at one last point for us today on how we can overcome envy, and that's that we should question the system of values 
that says we should envy the wealthy, the famous, and the beautiful. There's a lie in American culture that so many people have bought into, including many Christians, that says if I would be happy if I only had more fill in the blank. I, I talked about it with a young man today after the 1030 service. He asked me to pray for him. He said, I'm just in this season of life where I'm always looking ahead. Where I always just feel like if I were just done with school, if I just had the job I want, if I just had this, I'd be happy. And he recognizes that as a trap. And so for you, it might look like if I had more money, if I had more power or authority, if I was more popular, if I had more beauty, if I had more romance in my marriage, whatever it is, when we, when we think like that, it sets us up to envy anyone who has more of it than we do. And that's just not God's value system. That's not what He's called us to do. And I think at the heart of that, a lot of this is, do we value most what God values most? Because so much of what we value, God says it's rubbish. God says it doesn't really matter. I mean, take the idea of of beauty or physical perfection in our culture right now. Think of how invested people are at trying to hit that target. Think of the billions and billions of dollars that are spent trying to be beautiful. Which is a moving target, by the way. What does that even mean, right? See, what was beautiful 100 years ago is not considered beautiful now. And what's beautiful now won't be considered beautiful 100 years from now. And God says, that's just rubbish. Now, there are, there are scriptures that talk about, you know, spiritual exercises of some value. Or, sorry, physical exercises of some value. Our body is a temple. We should take care of it. I'm not saying that exercise is bad. I mean, that stuff's important. But when we're doing it, just because we want to look a certain way, just because we want to look like someone else, God says that's really not that important at all. And so then what happens is it distracts us from the things that are important to God. Jesus wasn't beautiful to look at. Here's how Isaiah describes Jesus, Isaiah 53, verses 2 and 3. It says, There was nothing beautiful or majestic about His appearance, nothing to attract us to Him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we didn't care. See, Jesus wasn't beautiful, at least from the standpoint of how our media or TV or things like that would describe beautiful. People weren't attracted to Jesus because of the way he looked. They were attracted to Jesus because of his compassion, because of his wisdom, because of his teachings, because of his miracles. And I want you to think about the people that Jesus first developed and trained to go out and build the kingdom where they, that's who Jesus poured into to start this mission. And Paul reminded the early church of this in 1 Corinthians. It's a great reminder to us. Paul says, remember that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. I want you to think about something that I've been guilty of. Think of how excited we get when a professional athlete or an entertainer professes Christ or becomes a Christian. And and there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. It's cool to be excited about that. But do we get just as excited when the recovering addict who's in subsidized housing comes to Jesus? 
Do we get just as excited when the single parent who's working two jobs still faithfully prays over his or her children and helps them go full circle in their, follow, in their following of God? See, the way we fawn over and elevate celebrity Christians reveals that sometimes we've bought in to this twisted value system. Do we get more excited when someone of stature comes to faith than when someone in poverty does? The Bible says that heaven rejoices when any person comes to Jesus. I hope that would be our value system as well because that other value system fuels envy and it's just not God's value system. Paul talks about that again in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. So this same theme, it says, God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. I say this all the time from the pulpit, but I love how God's kingdom is upside down from the world's kingdom. So many of the things the world says are important, God says, yeah, they're not. The world says beauty is important, God says, no, not really. The world says power is important, God says, actually, I'll choose to work through the powerless. The world says fame and celebrity are important, God says, I'll work with the despised and the forgotten. So the result is that Christianity is not about elevating people. Christianity is about elevating God. Christianity says the central figure in the story is God, not us. We're in His story. He's not in ours. Now, that's one of the reasons we use a team approach to preaching here at Alpine. That's why we don't have the same person stand up here and preach week after week because we want the message to be way more important than the messenger. We don't want to elevate any of our leaders to an unhealthy status. The reality is, guys, I'm just a beggar trying to help other beggars find the food. That's our attitude here. We want to raise God up. He deserves all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. I'm going to give you one more passage from Paul. This is in 1 Timothy, another antidote to to envy. He says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth, 1 Timothy 6.6. Now for me, I'll just confess that kind of growing up, I always thought of contentment just as it dealt with material things. Contentment is more than just being satisfied with material things. That's part of it. But true contentment is being satisfied with who God created you to be and where God has you right now. Knowing that He is good, knowing that He can be trusted, knowing that He has a plan in that, and He has a plan right here and right now. See, I want to honor God by doing the best I can with what He has given me, not wasting my time whining about what He is not giving me. Because when we're envious, all that leads to is bitterness, frustration, anger. Again, there's nothing redeemable about it. But a content person experiences joy, satisfaction. People say, who doesn't want more of that? Right? If you could offer that to anyone, we would all say, I want more joy, I want more satisfaction, I want more peace. And the way to get that is to be content with who you are, who God made you to be and where God has you right now in life. To be pursuing Him full circle and helping others do the same is the richest, most rewarding, most fulfilling thing that you can do. So if you're here today and you recognize that you've been struggling with envy, I just would encourage you to look at the cross. Because this is where God demonstrated His great goodness for us, that God didn't give us the short end of the stick. Romans 8.32 says it like this, Since He did not spare even His own Son, but gave him up for us all, 
won't he also give us everything else? See, in Jesus Christ, God demonstrated his goodness. God walked the walk. He didn't just talk the talk. He demonstrated that for us on Calvary. He gave everything he had, showing us that he's not holding out on us. He is gracious and he is good. And so, if you recognize today you've been struggling with envy and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, I would just encourage you, that's the one thing you can do that's going to fill that deeper longing, that deeper craving that you have that's been causing you to be envious. Really, all these sins we've been looking at in this series are just simple counterfeit substitutes to try and fill that God-sized, God-shaped hole that we have in our heart, and they all fall short. The reality is that all of us, because of our sin, because we sin against God, our relationship with Him was severed, and there's nothing we can do on our own to fix it. But God, in His mercy, sent His Son, and we're celebrating that at Christmas time, the birth of Emmanuel, God with us. He came down. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't. He went to the cross. And when we come to Him and say, Jesus, I need a rescuer. I can't do it. And we recognize that we've sinned, and we're repentant over that, and we ask Him to save us. The Bible says He comes in, He makes us a new creation. And He invites us to live a life that's full and rich and content. And so you have questions about how to do that, we'd love to talk with you after the service. I'm sure the person who invited you here today would love to have that conversation. Let's pray. Lord God, I want to just thank you for being a God who demonstrates His love for us. You're not a God who just talks about how much you love us. You're not a God who says, oh, I love you, just trust me. You're a God who demonstrated your love for us. And so because of that, we can trust you. We can trust you when we, when we come to you and we have questions. And, and we say, God, I just don't understand why this is happening in my life or why this is not happening in my life. And, and I'm grateful that you allow us to come to you with those questions. But I pray that we'd come out of those on the other end, even if we don't understand it, and say, God, I don't understand yet, but I know you're good, I know you're just, and I know I can trust you in this. Lord, I just want to lift up anyone here today who is, who's never healed that relationship with you through Jesus Christ. God, I pray that today might be the day that, that you'd just be speaking to their heart, that you'd be softening it, that they would recognize they're always going to have this longing, they're always going to have this craving that nothing else is going to satisfy until they ask Jesus into their life. And so God, I just pray that they'd take that step today. For those of us who have already done that, God, just forgive us when we have envy. And I thank you that you do. I thank you that your word says when we come to you and confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and you cleanse us. I thank you that I've been reminded often during this sermon series that in spite of all my shortcomings, in spite of all my sin, you still love me. You can still use me. You still have a plan for me. I pray that everyone here would know that as well. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.